0: And also Acts chapter 1, 4 and 5. And then the second bullet on the outline is this, The Promise Awaited. That's Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 26. And then from Acts chapter 2, verse 1, till the end of the 28th chapter, the bullet point is the fulfillment described. So we have a promise As the letter opens, then we have the waiting for that promise. And then for 27 chapters, we have story after story after story of that promise being realized, that promise being fulfilled, that promise being experienced by men and women who have the Holy Spirit poured out upon them in power and who become Witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. That was then and that was them. What about us and what about now? The promise given to them is our promise. That has been the approach for the last uh, 22 days as we have looked at this my deep conviction and prayer that you would embrace the truth of that as well, that the promise that Jesus gave in Acts 1, 4, and 5, and that he gave in Acts 1, 8, and that he fulfilled from Acts 2 to Acts 28 is your promise if you're a follower of Christ. That he longs for that for you and me just like he longed for it for his apostles in that early church. God wants us to live as believers a life filled with his spirit. And there is no limit to the outpouring of the spirit. Listen to John chapter 3. Verse 34, for he, referring to Jesus Christ, whom God has sent, utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Jesus Christ gives the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, without measure. Ephesians chapter five, eighteen. Paul writes... Divinely inspired, he writes, be filled with the Spirit. So, the book of Acts. One other way to look at the book of Acts. Let me couch this for you here as we get ready to jump into our study today. There are a lot of different genres of writing in Scripture. There's poetry. There's letters and Forms of just instructional teaching. There's history. A recording of events that took place. There's wisdom writings. The book of Acts fits in the historical writings genre. And what the book of Acts is, is God's last divinely inspired account of history it is a history his last divinely inspired historical writing that looks at the first days and years of the first church so what i believe is taking place here is that God began to inspire a text to be written. But God is still writing the story. He may not be writing it down in a book that we hold in our hand as divinely inspired text, but the story is still going. And here is what I am deeply convinced of. God wants our story to be written along the same lines as their story that history is intended to continue until Jesus returns. The acts of the Holy Spirit are to continue throughout history until the day of culmination and the return of Jesus Christ. And he wants Cornerstone Church written into that history. So, Maybe here is the great question. Here's the the question that I've been asking the last uh, 22 days and actually for a few years deeply. If that is true, then is our story, is my story following their storyline? Is the promise given to the first church The promise that was realized by the first church and the promise that was experienced by the first church is that promise being realized and experienced by me, by us. Is it our ongoing story? And the promise again, Acts eight. but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. How do I know the promise is still continuing? We got one great clue right here. The ends of the earth have yet to be reached. Contextual evidence right within the verse that it's our promise and evidence all over scripture that it's our promise so what I want to do this morning is I want to stir myself up through the preaching of the word and stir you up through the preaching of the word that you would get excited and enthusiastic about that promise being your promise if it's not. And that you would long for and pursue and lean into that becoming your reality. And what, the way I want to do that is I want to look into this letter and I want to look at these historical writings, this historical document that gives snapshots of real people in a real time. Real people who were realizing and experiencing the promise of Acts eight, and look at those snapshots and say, what are the principles of the promise that we can extract as we see that promise fulfilled over and over and over again? Because if it is our promise as well, though the details might change, the principles will not. So that The principles, those timeless truths that we can see in the lives of those in the book of Acts that were filled with the Spirit, they should be principles that are available and experienced and realized by us if we are under the outpouring of the Spirit as well. Here's the first principle. I'll just state each one as we come to it. And then I'll explain it. The first principle is the witness principle. The witness principle. When the Holy Spirit is poured out upon a person or a people, he gives that person or those people the power to, quote, witness. Acts 1.8 states that Directly. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Now, the word used here for witness. This is really incredible. Please listen carefully. The word used here for witness has two basic definitions or key ideas that are a part of it. First of all, a witness is someone who knows what they're talking about. A witness is someone that is relaying an experience or a set of information that they're not just drawing out some conjectures. They really know that of which they speak because they are a witness. But there's another, and that's the obvious definition Uh, That we would immediately see. But there's another definition that helps round out this idea here. And really gives it strong uh, and poignant impact in my mind. We can get at the second concept in this word. From Luke chapter 24 verse 48. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he is telling them that they would be witnesses of these things, quote. Referring to his life, referring to his death, referring to his resurrection, that they would be witnesses of these things. And in that passage, Luke 24, 48, the word used there in the Greek is the word from which we get our word, martyr. Martyr. It's the word from which we get our word martyr. So add this to the idea, the concept that a witness is someone that knows what they are talking about. Not only though is a witness someone that knows what they're talking about, but they are someone that is so impacted by what they know, so influenced that the reality of what they have come to know is more dear to them than life itself. That's what is meant by the term witness. When Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness, He was saying, you're going to understand, you're going to personally know, you're going to experience the reality of a truth and it's going to go down so deep in your soul as you're filled with the Spirit that the truth about me is going to be so Critical, so impact, it's going to grip your heart and fill your mind and flow out of your mouth to such an extent that it will not matter to you what comes against that, that nothing will be dearer to you than that, even to the forsaking of your own life if need be. That is in the concept of under the fullness of the Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit, we empower becoming His witness. And isn't that a powerful witness? A witness that is willing, not because of, but in spite of, to hold a truth and live a truth and proclaim a truth so Boldly, so unashamedly, so fearlessly, that even life is not too great a cost to give in the execution of that witness. That's the first principle. Now, just ask the question if you, we've been through Acts so many times all over. Was that true of the first church? Was that true of the story? Oh my word, that is exactly what happened in the story. Men who pre-Acts chapter 2 were running the other direction and denying with a cursing on their lips, I never knew him, were saying, now filled with the Spirit, crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy to die the way he died. That's a witness. That's a witness. So the witness, one part of the promise of Acts 1-8 is the witness principle. Here's the second principle. And I'm going to give you a two, fairly rapid succession here. The praise principle. Another truth of Acts 1-8 In that great promise is the praise principle. Listen to what happened in Acts chapter 2, 2 through 4. This is the day of Pentecost. This is the promise being fulfilled right there as the Spirit was poured out. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Question. I'll try to state it two ways to really get at the sense of what I'm asking for here. What was the ability that was given here to these 120 followers of Christ, comma, in its impact upon the unsaved now let, let me let me state that another way to try to clear that up if that if that wasn't clear what did speaking in tongues enable these believers to do for the crowd they understood it they understood it it wasn't for just This cool ability to be able to speak in a tongue they didn't know. It was for the purpose of understanding. Now let me show you the praise principle here. Verse 11 of chapter 2. Here is what the crowd, the thousands that gathered because of this disturbance. That spoke a variety of languages that had come from all over the kingdom from different speaking um, nationalities to Jerusalem. So they were a mixture of languages there. And here is what they said when they heard this group of 120 people speaking. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. What were they doing They were praising God. Do you know that one of the great callings and one of the great um, results of the outpouring of the Spirit is that the church became a place for the praises of God. Matter of fact, Peter says that. I, I, I wish I could remember. If somebody knows it off the top of your head, you can shout it out. But we are a people that are called to give our praises to God or live for the praises of God. The praise principle. That is exactly what took place. The Holy Spirit fell on them, filled them. Yes, they spoke in a tongue they did not know. But what they spoke was praises, declaring the mighty works of God to people who could hear those praises. That didn't know God. So the praise principle, but that also leads us to the third principle, the communication principle. The communication principle. And it's this they were able to effectively communicate to the crowd that had gathered. Now, let me give you two additional um, places in Scripture that use this word to make the meaning more plain. Remember that word, plain. You see, what happened there in Acts chapter 2 is as they were enabled to speak in different tongues, the praises of God were made plain to the people that heard from all different native dialects. Acts chapter 4, verses 29 to 31, here's the setup. Apostles uh, Peter, John healed an individual and they were getting persecution because they were using the setting to preach Jesus Christ and they were questioned by the authorities and they were seized and held and then commanded not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And so they went back to the church and they reported what the religious leaders had commanded them Commanded them basically to shut up about Jesus. And here is what happened in Acts chapter 4, 29 to 31. The church prayed. Acts 4, 29 to 31. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Remember that word. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They asked for boldness in prayer, and immediately their prayer was answered, and they spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word here for boldness is the same word used in verse 11 of chapter 2. Same word used. Look at John. I'm sorry, I think I just stated that wrong. The word used here is the same word used in the second verse that I'm going to give you, John 11. Here's the setup. Here's the setup. Remember again, that word boldness. Lord, enable us to speak with boldness, and then they prayed, and the place was shaken, and they spoke with boldness. John chapter 11, here's the setup. Jesus is some distance from Bethany. Someone comes and says, Jesus, Lazarus. Now, Lazarus was a close friend of Jesus. He said he's sick. But Jesus tarried. Jesus stayed. He didn't run to heal him. Though he was, his village that he was in was only a short distance away from Lazarus' home. And then he gets word a few days later that Lazarus died. And he is talking to his disciples. And his disciples get confused because Jesus says, Lazarus is only asleep, but we're going to go and wake him up. But they're not understanding what Jesus is saying. Jesus knows that Lazarus is dead, but to him, he's only asleep because the author of life could wake him from death. And so he says in John chapter 11, verse 14, listen, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Then they get it. They get it because Jesus told them plainly. Same word, Acts chapter 4, 29 to 31. Enable us to speak boldly. Same word used for Jesus told them plainly. Acts 11, verse 14. Here's the point. That what the Holy Spirit does... Is that in the principle of communication. Now I'm not. Referring to you speaking a language. That you do not know. I'm talking about the ability. That the Holy Spirit gives. To one filled with him. In witnessing for Jesus Christ. So that as they speak. The message of Jesus. Becomes plain. In the depth ears seen by the blind eyes, understood by the dead heart, so that there is regeneration and new life can come. You see, that can't happen without the ability of the Spirit of God making that happen. And the Spirit of God gives this principle, this powerful principle of communication so that he can use vessels like us <coughs> who can do what we never could do, just like the believers in Acts 2 spoke in a language they could never speak in on their own We can witness to people that in our own power, we could never change their lives for eternity. But the Spirit of God can use our words and empower them to go right to the ears and the eyes and the heart so that there is understanding, so that the message becomes plain. And they say, I get it. I get it. It's the communication principle. Now, folks, isn't that what the world needs? Isn't the world, if, if an individual is not saved, they are dead. They are spiritually dead. And what can be understood spiritually by a person that is spiritually dead? How far can you beat a dead horse down the track? How far? You can't. He's dead. You can't beat him harder and make him get up and run. A person that is dead spiritually cannot have ears to hear and eyes to see and a mind to understand and a heart to believe. Impossible. Impossible unless the regenerating work of the Spirit of God infuses the truth of Jesus that is being shared so that it wakes them up, so they can hear what they couldn't hear, see what they couldn't see, understand what they couldn't understand, embrace what they couldn't embrace, and life comes. That's the principle of communication. The Spirit of God, you see, is doing what He did from the very beginning. I don't just mean He's enabling people to speak in tongues they did not know. He's enabling you to speak a truth, a spiritual truth that actually brings life eternal. And you could not do that unless He enabled you to do it. It's the principle of communication. So we have the witness principle. The witness principle is the principle through the outpouring and the power of the Spirit. He takes the truth of Christ and so deeply grounds and saturates your mind and heart and life with it that you know it by experience, and you know it so deeply that it becomes something you are willing to die for. And then the praise principle. That through the outpouring of the Spirit, there is an understanding of the wonders and the greatness of God that goes beyond what you ever understood before so that your praise to God becomes spontaneous and it just begins flowing out of your life like a river and then your communication becomes empowered so that the messages that you share about Jesus Christ actually have the power to give new life. Now, I don't mean that happens every time but it happens. Now all three of those acts is filled with all three of those truths as the Spirit of God is poured out. Here's the fourth. The fourth principle in the promise of Acts 1.8, it's the wisdom principle. The wisdom principle. Here's the setup. Acts chapter 6. Church is Exploding. I mean, exploding. I mean, it goes from 120 in Acts 1 to 3,000 plus in Acts 2 to 5,000 men. I think it is in Acts 4. I mean, it is exploding. And there are struggles that come with that kind of growth. And in Acts chapter 6... There is a conflict that arises between two different groups of people. Acts 6 1 through 3. Now, in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. It's a conflict between the Hellenists and the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The Hellenists were complaining because their widows were being neglected. The church wasn't taking care of their widows like they were the Hebrews' widows. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, "'It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers.'" Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Just drawing attention to the last phrase there. The apostles called the church together and said, You pick seven men known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Those two go together. Fullness of the Spirit and wisdom. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of wisdom. So if you are full of the Spirit, if the Spirit has been poured out on you or is being poured out on you, He comes with wisdom because He is the Spirit of wisdom. So if your life is filled with Him, the byproduct of that is going to be going to be wisdom, right? Are you with me here? Does that make sense? What an incredible picture this is of a decision based upon wisdom, right? Conflict arises. This is a great opportunity to get derailed right here. And in wisdom, the apostles who were full of the Spirit said, we got to keep, the main thing, the main thing that God called us to, prayer and the ministry of the Word. We cannot step away from that. So appoint some other men. We'll stay in wisdom. We'll stay committed to what God has called us to be committed to. And we'll put some, appoint some other men who are full of the Spirit and wisdom to do this ministry that the Spirit is calling them to do, is gifting them to do. And watch how this works. I didn't realize this until studying this this week. That there were in the church here in Acts six, the majority were Hebrews. The majority of the church was made up of Hebrews. It would make sense that the Hebrew widows were getting. The preferential treatment and the widows of the Hellenists were not. But under the leadership of the Spirit, what does the church do? The church at large selects seven men who were all Greeks in a church in which was the majority of Hebrews. What an incredible wise act that is right there. How this conflict was diffused, and the work of God just continued to clip along at a rapidly increasing rate. And if you just read a few verses later, it says, "...and the church grew greatly in numbers." And a great number of the priests became obedient to the faith. You see, as they continued to walk under the leadership of the Spirit, they were making wise decisions, which just continued the momentum of the growth of the kingdom of God. So we have identified four things now. That the book of Acts specifically states in various places that under the fullness of the Spirit, this outpouring of the Spirit, the characteristics that come along with the promise of 1 Acts 8 is the witness principle. That's part of the promise and what that word means. And the praise principle, that's part of the promise and what that means. And the communication principle. And the wisdom principle. And then finally, the joy principle. The joy principle. Here's the setup. Paul and Barnabas, Acts chapter 13, the Spirit of God had just called them to the work. The church was worshiping the Lord and fasting. You know, by the way, We've been on a 22-day focus where there's been an encouragement to fast, spend some time doing that. We're coming tonight to just worship the Lord. Sounds a little bit like Acts 13. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Spirit said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas to the work for which I've called them. Maybe, I don't know. God can do whatever he wants. Maybe he'll call some people to the ministry tonight. Come to church. No, <laughs> that nobody will probably come if I say that. I'm no going, I'm called. I can relate to that. <sighs> so they're on their journey, their first missionary journey. And in one location there, Acts chapter 13. They are very effective through the power of the Spirit and the Jews get jealous as happened so often. And they stirred up trouble. Acts chapter 13, 50 and 52. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. They, they were having a Phenomenally effective, incredible, powerful ministry. And they got booted out of the city. And what was their response? How did it affect their emotions, their demeanor? But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit those two things go together scripture is clear about that not just in one account but it's clear about that person filled with the spirit is a person that has as a characteristic quality of their life the joy of the lord the joy of the lord here in the midst of being booted out of town. They're not reacting. They're rejoicing. They are filled. They don't have a little bit of joy. They are filled with joy. Why? Because they're filled with the Spirit. What are the gifts of the Spirit, or the fruits of the Spirit, I mean? It is love and then Joy, love and then joy. In fact, it's the fruit singular, love being the fruit. And that manifests itself in several ways, eight different ways. The first one is joy. The joy principle, person filled with the Spirit of God, the testimony of the text And the truth of Scripture is that where there is fullness of the Spirit, there is fullness of joy. I don't know what your perspective on Jesus and His personality as He walked the shores of Palestine for 33 years or so. But I challenge you with this: what this tr- a truth like this, and oh, many other verses that we could draw from, such as, "In the presence of the Lord there is fullness of joy." Jesus was the most joyful man that ever drew a breath. Would people want to flock to him? The crowds want to flock to him if he was a stick in the mud? No! He was the most joyful person on the planet. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. The Spirit of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. That title is given him in Scripture. the fullness of the Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit as shown over and over again in Acts. Like this eruption of praise about the mighty works of God. That's a a knee-jerk reaction of joy, folks. Not being able to contain the excitement that you have. Having been given this great revelation of the truth of God in a way that you'd never known it before. The joy principle. In the book of Acts, joy is used 21 times in 28 chapters. Question. Does joy, I'm talking about visible joy, Expressed, overflowing, spontaneous joy. Is that the common characteristic of followers of Christ? I'm talking about by experience. Is that the common characteristic of the person that you look at in the mirror? Or those that you fellowship with. I believe that is God's heart. Matter of fact, it's His provision because it's a part of the promise of Acts 1:8 that He wants you and me to experience, to enjoy. To realize the promise given, the promise waited, and the promise explained or described or realized or experienced. It's supposed to be our story. It's supposed to be our story. Follower of Christ. You see, joy is transcendent. Joy is in spite of, not because of. Joy conquers. Joy stays on top of, not under. Because joy is from heaven. Struggles and trials and pain are from earth. Heaven wins over earth. The spiritual wins over the physical. Eternal is greater than temporary. Romans fifteen, thirteen May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The joy principle is to be our principle. So here's the summary call then. I'm sure... That if you're a follower of Christ, that you, all of us who are followers of Christ, have experienced the first fruits of the Spirit. Question is, is that where you want to stop? With first fruits? Look to the Lord Jesus Christ for more enlarged supplies of the Spirit. That's a quote from Charles Simeon. If you ever get a chance to read anything from Charles Simeon, grab it. He says, look to the Lord Jesus Christ for more enlarged supplies of the Spirit. Jesus gives the spirit without limit. That means he's not going to run out. It's a promise that he wants for you and me. Jesus came that we would have life. Oh, yes, he did. But not only life, but life what, church? To the full or more abundantly. That's the full life. That's the joy-filled life. That's the life that has the witness principle and the praise principle and the communication principle and the wisdom principle and the joy principle. It's the life that is living in the reality of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Would you please stand? I'm not I'm not even talking about a one-time deal folks I'm saying the promise Jesus gave the spirit that he gives without limit he wants that to be our ongoing life story and I think it is not only not only do we have the permission but we are encouraged by Scripture, even instructed by Scripture to ask that Jesus would send us new outpourings of the Spirit of God so that we can be the people of the promise of Acts 1-8 and the people of the promise change their world. It's the way it happens. Let's pray. Father, I I pray that for this church and I'm praying it for me. I do not want to be satisfied with where I am at. With the first fruits or the fruits of the Spirit that I have already realized. I... I am asking you. I'm longing, Lord, that you would pour out your Spirit upon us. Pour out your Spirit upon us. We do not want to be the same tomorrow as we are today. I don't in greater and greater ways I want the principle of witness and the principle of praise and the principle of communication and the principle of wisdom and the principle of joy to be characteristics in my life that point to the outpouring of the Spirit in a powerful testimony to the risen Lord. Asking you to do that. I know we, we cannot manipulate and that is not what we're trying to do we are just asking You, our Heavenly Father, far greater than any earthly father. And even earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children so that when we ask our earthly fathers for bread, they won't give us a stone. When we ask them for a fish, they will not give us a snake. How much more then will you as the perfect heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so we ask you to do that. In the name of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus, for the advancement of his kingdom, in Christ's name I pray. Amen.